0: This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Check out salesleadershipunited.com and tap into tools used by elite sales leaders worldwide. Accelerate your leadership development. Solve modern sales challenges. Use fully prepped sales meetings in your next team meeting. Thousands of hours of sales leadership materials indexed and searchable with a single click. Create your own personal sales leadership library. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at sign up to get a free trial on me. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth from the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. This show features leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Be sure to check out the all-new salesleadershipunited.com. Fast-track your sales leadership development, gain insights into how other sales leaders are solving challenges similar to the ones you face, and tap into over 400 leadership topics, hundreds of video insights, battle-tested leadership frameworks, and new material that comes out every single week. Sales Leadership United is the easiest investment in yourself you'll ever make. Head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at signup, and get a free trial on me. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders who are making it happen, and remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Thank you for your support of the show. Thank you for all the DMs where you share how the show is helping your career. This is exactly why I do the podcast. And today, today we got another good one. Today we got someone who's going to help accelerate your growth one more time. I am excited to chop things up with today's guest. Billy Stein is a three-time sales leader with great success at tech companies you will all be familiar with. I'm talking about companies like Service Titan, First Resonance, and Seismic. He's had a great run leading teams in every environment imaginable. And I'm excited to have him join me today to share a model he's built that creates success regardless of the external circumstances. This is gonna be a model you're gonna be excited to implement right away. Now, in addition to leading successful sales teams, Billy's the host of his own successful podcast, The Sales Rx Podcast. His show is growing really, really fast. And by the end of our discussion today, I hope you've already subscribed to his show as well. So let's get after it. Billy, welcome to The Sales Leadership
1: Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here. First-time caller, long-time listener.
0: Uh, I'm excited to have you, man. This is going to be a fun one. Um, first of all, thank you on behalf of 50,000 people that are listening. Thanks for joining us today, giving us an hour of your time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Stoked to dive in.
0: Why don't we start by having you just introduce yourself? We got a worldwide audience that's listening right now. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? And and the f- thing I always love to hear is how'd you get involved in sales? Like, I'm still waiting for that person that said, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be sales, dude. Not the astronaut, not the athlete. I'm going to be sales, dude. I, I don't know if you're that guy or not, but I'm always interested in the story and how it led you to leadership.
1: No, I think my uh, my grades in school, you probably would have expected I would have become a dog catcher or a truck driver. But uh, <laughs> I'm Billy Stein. I'm uh, located in Culver City in Los Angeles. Um, for about the last decade, I've been working in tech, either in uh, staffing, which is really where I got my start. And then about eight years ago, I jumped into SaaS.
0: Cool.
1: Um, when did I start sales? Okay, so Here's a little background. So I graduated college let's in 2011. Go. And, uh, you know, I could say things about myself that I don't think your editor would appreciate the language for, nor would your audience. But let's okay. just say I was a little misguided when I got done with school and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. I didn't really want to be an adult all that badly when I was 22 years old. Okay. And so you know i held down some odd jobs uh changing truck tires uh coaching tennis lessons for some senior citizens in my in my parents community and you know when i really needed to start taking things seriously i got one of the best jobs you could possibly have at 23 years old i was selling wine in a wine shop and okay you know, that job was literally birthed just out of the idea that I could not afford to pay my rent and uh, afford a gym. So I went in, I was like, you know what, if I'm lifting heavy cases of wine all the time, then I'll basically, it's like lifting weights anyway. So there's my multitasking win. And, you know, the, the proprietor of this wine shop was a sommelier and he was big on us being, you know, product experts in wine. So he would pay us more money to get this this textbook by Kevin Zarelli and learn all this stuff about new world wine, old world wine, red wine, white wine, rosé. And, you know, it was it was in there and learning deductive reasoning and learning how to sell, you know, a, a $14 bottle of wine compared to an $8 bottle of wine. That's really where I got my start. And a lot of the foundations of what I like to do every day, either in my own sales journey or while I'm coaching a team, comes back to a lot of the things I learned in that wine shop.
0: I love that story, Billy, because when we were talking, getting ready for this, you used words like sleuthing and deductive reasoning. And mm-hmm. I remember when I was taking notes, I was like, uh, we can make this, this episode about why Sherlock Holmes might have been a good salesperson. And now I know where it all came from, is you had to learn how to be a a good deductive reasoner and a good detective as a wine salesperson. What a great story. I can see how that helps you become a really great sales person and, and ultimately sales leader. Thanks for sharing that. I, that yeah. That's a, that's a fun story. You gotta, that's one I haven't heard before. Okay. I have not heard how someone learned how to be a, a detective. Let's talk about that. Let's just stay in the detective theme. If you don't mind, sure. that was one of the things that really stood out to me. And for our listeners, uh, Billy was, was, I got a call from one of our guests that was really well liked by you guys, Chet. Uh, Chet reached out to me and said, hey, I got a guy, Billy, that you got to have on the show. And after I had a call with Billy, I was like, Chet, you're right. Thank you for the intro. And so this is going to be fun. And our listeners like Chet, they're gonna love, they're going to love you too. Let's talk about why this detective capability is so important for a salesperson in any economic environment.
1: Yeah. Well, any economic environment may not actually be fair because okay. especially like for cool. me, I'm coming in the world of of SaaS and many of us who had the, the luxury of working in that space from maybe 2015 until early 2022, we pretty much got to sell in a blank check era. The answer to every question or every problem was just put resources towards it. Do you need money for it? Do you need headcount for it? You know, what can the business do to help whatever specialists achieve what they're going to achieve? Where I think a lot of the detective work, as you put it, has really, you know, been accelerated in our field and in many other fields. And I know I come from a very siloed point of view being in SaaS, is that we're not okay. in a bl- we're not in a blank check era anymore. We're in a budget fro- budget's frozen, jobs cut. Uh everything is scrutinized by people that really don't even want to have any business scrutinizing things. And a lot of I think what we're going to talk about today is really predicated on this market today and like if you're going to sell especially if you're going to sell contracts that are more than a couple of pennies what are the things that we can actually do to a try to hit our number b try to keep our jobs and c for somebody like me who's already operating on borrowed time how do i keep my hair
0: i like what you just said how do i keep it no matter what the circumstances are because when times are good it's easy to look in the mirror and say man i'm pretty badass or aren't they lucky to have me and when times are tough it's easy for those same people to point out the look out the window instead of in the mirror they look out the window and say oh well it's beyond my control or you know nobody's buying right now or whatever like i mean it's easy to point fingers when we look for a reason it's easy to look in the mirror when we win have you have you seen that as well as you've been a leader of people
1: i have and even most recently at seismic um you know our framework of success and the way we needed to structure our approach to every deal was largely predicated on looking out the mirror and realizing that those macroeconomic headwinds are are gusting up the gale right now. And you know, value selling being, you know, the the buzzword in sales enablement right now, How could we value sell, you know, when we're talking to people that really are the model for what's actually happening in the economy. If you're, you know, if you're selling into an industry, if you want a free sample into how companies are acting, look at the sales enablement team. Do they still have them? Are they a few months in their job? Or did they have a bunch of open recs to replace the old regime that got laid off? So a lot of our approach was built on knowing that times are incredibly tough, budget's going to be incredibly difficult to cobble, but we still need to do something that's going to deliver a result for these individuals if they're going to partner with our software company.
0: Well, I'm taking this in and I really like that because I think what you just said is resonating with a ton of people. Like I have a lot of my clients that tell me, Every single thing is being scrutinized. Like mm-hmm. I love how you said if it's more than a couple of pennies, it's up for evaluation right yeah. now. And that's not just in the tech space. I have clients in every industry. They're in finance, they're in tech, they're in manufacturing and industrial, they're in professional services. And they're all telling me every single thing is under review. And so I like that you went there right now because that's going to resonate with a lot of people as this thing's going to, as this episode will go live, it's going to happen probably middle of, of February. So we're halfway through the first quarter and I don't know if they're ahead or they're behind, but we got to find ways to win regardless of the circumstances. Our job as leaders and salespeople is we got to be DJ Khaled where the song we sing is all I do is win, right? Yeah. Like we, we have to do that. The next line is what? No matter what. All I do is win no matter what. It's not all I do is win if we have blank check era, or all I do is win if economy is good. And so you've got a framework. You've got some thoughts around how you do that and how you can turn weaknesses into strengths. And I'd love for you to kind of share some of your thoughts around how do we create a DJ Khaled approach regardless of what the industry is looking like right now.
1: Yeah, you talked about uh, turning your greatest weakness into a strength. And... You know, one of the leaders that I follow and somebody who I've learned a ton of lessons from is a guy named Patrick Muratoglue. And, you know, based on the actual statistics around the sport of tennis, I'm sure less than 2000 of your 50,000 followers are actually tennis fans. So a bit of a history on Patrick Maratoglu. Uh, most famously known for being Serena Williams coach and winning, I think 10 okay. majors as her. Okay. coach. Uh,
0: now uh, I know where you are. I was like, who is the, I don't know the guy, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry.
1: Very, very big deal in the tennis world, but also a great guy to pluck leadership lessons from. And one of the things that Patrick Mouratoglou talks about very frequently is this concept that your greatest weakness can be your greatest strength. And you know, I certainly saw from my own experience, and I don't think I'm any different from anybody else in the sales world, that right now the economy is our greatest weakness. Because how do you sell to somebody that doesn't have a budget? And to take that, that a level further is like, all right, how do I convince somebody to really push to get a budget when one doesn't seem to exist? So we built a framework out on my team is uh, there were seven points to it. And the way I look at this, I don't think this is going to make it on the New York Times bestseller list as a, as a book about value selling. But what it was for us was a pretty practical approach we could take to our customer and try to provide the best possible customer experience they could have while trying to fit our solution into their way of doing business. And so that's kind of how it was built. I mean, the whole idea was we know times are ugly right now, and we just got to win ugly.
0: Really, really, I can't wait to dive into this. But this idea, I want to sit in that for a second before we get into your seven things. And I can already tell time's going to go fast. I'm looking at my clock. I'm like, man, uh, we may be bringing Billy back in a few months for a round two, depending on how this goes. Because the idea, like the framework, I'm interested in learning, but what I really am interested in right now is that's a mindset play. I I believe that all success starts with, if you want to perform different, you have to think different. Mm -hmm. And this idea of, I can turn a great weakness into a great strength or any weakness into any strength. But I love how you said it, greatest weakness into greatest strength. To me, that's a mindset, that's a mind shift of saying, I want to be on high alert for what these things are, because I can take charge of that, and I can
1: turn it into an advantage that other people might feel like is an unfair advantage, even. I'll take unfair advantage if I can get it in any in any yeah, sense. Right? right
0: right. So let's sit on that. how how do you apply this idea of turning your greatest weakness into your greatest strength? i I got a lot of people listening right now, and I bet you there's people interested. that's a that's a power line. Any insight on how we actually start to do that?
1: I mean, for in my unique case is just looking in the mirror and being very transparent and being very self-aware of the situation. Um, you know, unfortunately, before I came to Seismic, I had tried my hand as the head of sales at a Series A startup and despite our our sales efforts, despite tripling revenue, it didn't work. And they had to make a tough decision. And myself and several very talented leaders at that company ended up becoming unemployed. So, you know, my greatest weakness going into that company was, well, hey, my performance at the last company, non-indicative, I still didn't come into this position from a place of leverage. I came in from a place of need. So when I looked at what I can offer the business, I need to repurpose that idea that like, you know, my last low point came as a result of this economy. And I need to be able to confidently repurpose my mindset to a lot of other people who are very new at their jobs. And, you know, maybe they needed somebody to know their business better because they were so new at it. And that's where a lot of it came from. And I mean, the first thing we talked about with Seismic was what was going to be different about our approach was going to start with discovery. And within that, Seismic was a tool that salespeople used. As we all know, in the tech world, like if you're a sales tech company, that means you're not just a piece of the sales tech stack, you're a revenue generating software. That means part of your value you offer is I'm going to help drive sales. How do you do that? You need to know how their business makes money. And that was the first big shift we made. And we made this shift based on reading win reports. And five win reports I read, the first sentence in all of them was, it felt like Seismic knew our business really well. And when you think about that, like, all right, that's a strength already. So, in management, when you're managing a seller and you find that they're already really good at something, you don't coach anything on that. You tell them to maintain that and not think about it and just keep doing it. Well, in this case, we wanted to double down on that as a business, but that was a behavior shift for a few other people. So rather than starting out a discovery call and saying like, all right, Rob, tell me about what tools you're using today in your tech stack, We shifted that narrative entirely in that first discovery call and said, okay, what do you sell? Who do you sell it to? How long does it take you to sell? How much money do you make when you sell it? And we started taking a more metrical focused approach to everything. And then before we even show them software, we've demonstrated that we have an understanding of their business. And now every single meeting becomes bespoke to the initiatives they're trying to drive. And those are the kind of sales fundamentals that are a little looser in a really good economic environment because people are going to buy something anyway. So that was our first big shift we made. So let's talk
0: about that. I really like that. I, I believe that as, as leaders, this is a sales leadership podcast, we have to create, I think there's 20 choices that we have to make. And choice number nine, you just, you just hit like bullseye and you have, to. the choice is you got to choose, I get you over, I got you. And every single sales team is going to say, Oh, we got you. Oh, we got you. Oh, Mm -hmm. I got you Is transactional. It's like a person at the drive-thru. Oh, you wanted a Coke. I got you. Or if you want a Coke say, Oh, we're a Pepsi place. I guess I don't got you. And um, right. You wanted fries with that. I got you. every, Every single person, every vendor, every salesperson, every AE, every SDR, every whatever the title is, they can and will say, we got you. But what you just described is the choice of, I get you. It's very rare for a salesperson to earn the the response of, they get me. And that's what you said. All of your wins were seismic, knew my business. And that's code for, they get me. And so I love that your first shift is you better shift away from here's what we got for you to here's how we get you. Am am I hearing you right on that?
1: Absolutely. And look, Seismic is an enterprise platform, uh, go-to-market approach. They have several SKUs that they're selling to anybody at one time. Many other software companies are exactly the same. Yep. Before you can figure out what it is that you want to try to sell somebody, you need to make damn sure that you know exactly what they want to be sold or what they don't know that they want to be sold just yet because they don't know what they don't know. So I think you and I are exactly on the same page, and that is a big reason why we took that approach.
0: And I love that. What a great story. So is that part of your seven-step model that you have? Is that like the first –
1: is that part one? That was number one, and that was the most resounding new behavior was – don't worry about what tools they're using. Those are filler questions. Focus on the initiatives, focus on the things that people are talking about in their cross departmental meetings, focus on the things that are fodder for SKO or podcasts. I love that. Focus on initiatives is, is number one. What's number two? Number two. So, we had evaluation teams that were direct and then we had extended evaluation teams, you know, committees, if you will. And we needed to know the individuals on that direct team and on the evaluation team that was extended. And a lot of this dovetails into some of the value selling principles that come about, but in short, in the sales enablement world, And Seismic is not the only company that sells into that space, but a lot of evaluation teams kept a very tight silo on their project. And, you know, when you think about enterprise selling and you think about, well, there's 20 people I'm going to need to convince that this is the right decision with 20 different agendas and 20 different sets of OKRs, it's really hard to multi-thread when you're kept in a silo. So if you're approaching an enterprise style sales cycle where you've got a bigger buying committee, take 15 extra minutes to go on LinkedIn Sales Navigator, have an idea of who are your personas. In our case, we had revenue enablement, we had sales development, we had sales, we had product marketing, brand marketing, we had uh, customer success, growth teams, customer support, They all have leadership teams. They all report up to somebody. So it's not a big ask to know who those individuals are that you're going to meet with, but to already come in with a list of names that the buck might stop with these individuals. And even just by doing that, you're preparing downline to pull certain individuals and to push certain individuals that you may get a lot of time to communicate with, or you may get no time to communicate with.
0: But when you're doing that, is part of that trying to anticipate what their priorities would be? It's not just who the people are, but what are the priorities?
1: Yes. And, you know, taking it a step further, like when you think about paper processes and uh, who the budget solicitation is going to go to, there were always three pro- three types of evaluations. There was somebody who had a project, but no budget yet. Somebody who had a project and a budget and then people that didn't really have an active project or a budget and they were kind of window shopping, they were pure pipeline. But knowing the state of the evaluation, knowing who your evaluators are, what it means to them and what that internal sale later down the line is going to look like, it helps you get ahead of a lot of things that in a tough environment to sell you can have a little bit more control than you may otherwise have as a seller. I like it. So what's the challenge with that? Like, so some of that is like, okay, know your
0: audience before you go try to anticipate who's going to be part of the process. Is there any ah ahas around that, that for that to be number two in your, like, I love your number one. I get it. And that's a big shift. I see the shift. So, as you make that number one shift, are, were there any like, hey, to our listeners, here's a couple of things you ought to be thinking about as you find these players?
1: Not really at this stage because, you know, the this grows as the evaluation grows, right? I mean, you come in your first call and you're expecting, like, okay, if I'm selling to a sales leader at a tech company of 800 people, I assume there's either an SVP of sales or a CRO that leads that business unit that ultimately, Is going to be the final approver but the ahas generally come in in different forms of this framework that we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes as we keep going yep all right well then let's move let's get to it all right so third thing and this is straight down to the core of value selling you've got to serve the vision of the evaluation team where a lot of people get hung up, if you sell to, say, a publicly traded company, for example, a lot of folks will throw their 10K or their 10Q into Google Bard or ChatGPT and say, I assume these three things from the earnings call are the top priorities. But what if that's a company of 10,000 employees? Do you think one middle manager actually listened to the earnings call or reviews their 10K? Not always. We always thought when we were selling like everybody we're selling to has their own agenda. You and I could be on the same team focused on the same initiatives, but we could have different priorities ourselves, different biases, different internal politics that dominate our days. Yeah, different backlogs. And what's way more important is, you know we talk about getting to know the business, but we got to know the individuals too. This should be the most rewarding part of working in sales if you're in it for the right reasons is the relationships you build with people. So our top priority was we need to be able to serve the vision of an evaluation team because if Rob's coming into a business and I know for a fact that Rob has agreed to be part of generating 20 million more dollars by, you know, selling a hundred new consulting logos or whatever the case may be. My entire narrative and every reason that I should be trying to talk to Rob is based solely on the concept that I can serve whatever vision he's, he's trying to carry out and I'm going to be an asset to him. Yep. So let me ask you this, any tips. Now we're going to our detective work.
0: Um, how do you find out what the vision is? Like, cause I don't know that you can just show up and say, Hey, so tell me your vision, right? I mean, how, there, there's gotta and I I'm gonna, I know I'm not gonna guess. I know because I've fallen into the trap. I've had one person tell me what the vision is, and then I'm like, oh, well, this is the vision. And then people two steps up the food chain are like, yeah, that's that person's deal. This is what I'm doing at the corporate level. And um, any advice on how do you know when you really know what that vision is? Does that a, does that make sense? That I mean, it may sound like it, a weird it does. question.
1: And here's where here's where this gets a little tricky to answer this question because some people have a more binary vision than others. Yep. Right. Uh, yep. A new CRO can come in and say, "My vision is to take this company from fifty million to five hundred million in revenue in the next three years, and put it in a position to." IPO or be acquired. I'm of the belief, and I always will be, that I can only ever guess something 50%. It requires having the the confidence, but also the point of view that I can ask you what your vision is. And for us, what happened a lot in our industry the last couple years, and I as I'm seeing the headlines, like it seems to be continuing as tech companies continue to reduce the size of their workforce. And it's really not just tech companies, by the way. I know I use this example a lot, but we didn't only sell to tech companies at Seismic. And, you know, we keep seeing that uh, rosters are still a little bloated. The balance sheet isn't as healthy everywhere as it looks. But what we kept seeing a lot was we had new leaders come in, very disciplined, achieved individuals that were at a company before they were hired into this new company. And they saw the opportunity that, you know what, we have a 60 day sales cycle and it could be cut down to 40 if we implement a more holistic sales methodology, if we have a more succinct onboarding program. Those are the visionary questions that I'm a lot more interested in because mm-hmm. for us, if you're, if we're being, if I'm asking you like, what's the goal? And you say, well, the goal is to sell more, like no so shit, everybody sure else. else is yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: um, Yeah. I think that's gotta be a really important one. And and we got to make sure if we're attaching to a vision, I think we got to have a way of making sure that, like, there's no doubt that this is the vision, right? Um, I think I just think that's a massively important. What whatever ship you you kind of whatever you tie your anchor to, that's gonna. You better get that right. Is that a fair statement?
1: Very much so, and you know, tactically for the listeners, something that I did learn through experience when you are selling to a committee and you're selling to a team. In the one-to-many environment where you're on a call with several individuals from a team, point those vision questions in the group at the leadership. The reason being, everybody else is going to fall in line and people definitely aren't going to try to rock the boat on a call. If you talk to everybody on your evaluation team in a one-to-one format, i.e., we had the director of the business unit and then we had four Uh, individual contributors that were also on the call. If separately you're talking to those ICs, that's the best time to ask them about their vision too. Because there is the holistic vision, but then there's also the aspirations of the individual. And you learn a lot more through talking to the individuals than you actually will in that group environment.
0: Okay. Okay. We got to pick up the pace. I can't believe we're starting right out of time. So, we got we got a few more. Why don't you hit those quick and then yeah. we'll dive in at the end. We'll we'll try and put a bow on it, but let's at least get these out for our our listeners cuz so this is really good stuff. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. So, number 4, you had asked me earlier about the roster. Know the chain of command. And the chain of command is very very simple. We're the technical buyers. Who are the technical drivers of an evaluation, i.e. if you sell a product that requires an implementation period? Who's driving that? And who's ultimately the person that can say yes from the the driver level, but then also know above them, like where is it going to go? Who's going to sign off? What's the approval process look like? Because that's where a lot of the gotchas happen. In the sales enablement space, systems are very cult-like. You may have a team that's fully bought in, but you might have a C-suite executive that's got a very cozy relationship with a competitor. And that might be where the landmines are hiding in plain sight. So that's what we mean by know the chain of command. And for us, it was indicative to know, all right, here's our mutual action plan of like, here's the steps we believe you need to take. Now, what are the steps that we need to take in order to create the handshake with your business.
0: Can we ask about that really fast? I love mutual action plans and I found they're not used effectively as often as I think they could be. In fact, there's a lot of companies that say, what's what's a map? What's a mutual action yep. plan in the yep. first place? Would you mind giving like your your thoughts on, on why mutual action plans are important and maybe a best practice or two
1: on using them? Because I, I love that as a tool. Absolutely. So here's why I think mutual action plans are important at the highest level. Most people don't know how to buy software. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a VP of sales at a very well-known conversational intelligence company, and he divulged what their win rate was. And the reason it was so low is because you know, people who are tasked with the role of selling things don't always know how to buy things the correct way. That, in short, is why I think they're so important. Why I think they fall short often is because a buyer, if you see a mutual action plan and you're being given homework by a vendor who you're about to pay a lot of money for, or you're being asked to do a lot of meetings and take a lot of time away from your direct initiatives, if you don't do a great job of selling that as a seller and making sure that it's important, no one's going to take it seriously. Somebody told me one time, content is important but context matters a lot more and i yep. think context is where we miss a lot with mutual action plans and sales because it can be very hard to ask somebody to do a lot of committal activity over a 3 month 6 month horizon and be able to maintain their excitement
0: love it all right thank you for that let's let's get the last couple out on the table and then i've got a couple of final things i want to make sure we hit yeah. I can't believe we're down to our last 10 minutes, man.
1: So, All right, let me move quickly. These, these two are easy. Pull the customer along when it's appropriate to pull. All I mean by that is, you know, when you think about value selling, if you had talked about, uh, I get you, I got you. When you really have those, I get you and those, I got yous. And it's very binary and customers are understanding and it's just about rowing the boat in the same direction. Pull them along in those instances. That can be something as small as, uh, hey, we need to set up this part two demonstration. We need to get an email introduction to this cross-departmental stakeholder that's going to be a big part of your evaluation. If you're in agreement and all you got to do is pull them along and give them the instructions, do it. It's also a critical piece of value selling, and here's where I feel like a lot of people miss in this methodology. You have to be able to push your customers when it's appropriate to push. Uh, great examples of that are, you know, salespeople send out docu signs for people to sign, and then they sit and they wait idly for days for that thing to be signed. And you know, coming back to what does the approval process for that look like? is everybody in the know? Have you had that conversation with your boss who is going to sign it? Sometimes you have to have some uncomfortable conversations with people. But that all comes back in my view to people don't always know how to buy software or hardware or anything else. There have to be moments of friction. Unfortunately, in sales, it's natural. They will appreciate you when it's done. So sometimes you need to push. And then the last thing for us was just find disruptions and get ahead of them. Uh, A lot of people talk about find objections early, find risks early. Yep. All of those things are disruptions and they kind of break up that, that linear path from beginning to end. A great example for us at Seismic was if you're talking to somebody in September And they're a calendar year-end knowing that we have a four to six-month sales cycle. Know darn well when SKO is. Know if it's remote or in-person and what the planning process is going to look like because that is a very large hindrance in their daily outputs and in their evaluation. Make sure you get ahead of that. And today, for everybody, not just people selling sales enablement software, not just for people selling any kind of software finance is a shadow figure and they are going to do anything from drop a a ski mogul to drop a nuke on your sales cycle that you're running. Make sure you get ahead of them as much as you can, even if it's something small, like have you socialized this with finance already? Finding those small disruptions early and getting ahead of them when you know they're going to come up can make the difference sometimes between getting ink and never getting another meeting again with a buyer. That's, that's a great way to wrap that.
0: Why don't we, because I'm down to our last seven minutes, yeah. I'd love for you to do like a bike. So I want to make this something that we put on sales leadership United. And I want to make it easy for our listeners that are listening right now. Can you really quickly just run us through from one to seven, like, what what is it and one soundbite? What is it and one soundbite? One through seven, just so we can have them all in one place.
1: Yeah. So, right. the seven the seven keys to winning business in a difficult environment. I Let's would say number I would say number one is knowing their business. Number two is know the individuals on the direct and extended evaluation team. Serve the vision of the evaluation team. Know the chain of command pull the customer along when it's appropriate, push the customers when it's appropriate, find disruptions and get ahead of them.
0: Let's go. I like it. Um, We have just a few minutes and I want to make sure you give everybody an opportunity on how to get a hold of you and learn about your podcast, et cetera. The one thing that I wanted to ask you that I'm excited to get your take on in just a few minutes we talked a little bit about how do we find opportunities in a sea of change? And I think that that sea of change is appropriate to today's world. The marketplace today is a lot different. You know, last year in tech, more layoffs than any other year. Um, and really talented people are, are hit by that. And that means when you're selling to people, everybody evaluates differently. Do you have a thought about that? I like. I wrote that down when we first started, like, how do we find opportunities in a sea of change do you have a do you have a thought around that
1: i don't know if i have a thought on that i i, I mean i think i might be stumped there sorry rob
0: oh i wrote it down and it spoke to me and that's why i was like i want to i want to learn more about that because that really jumped out me. do you, you, rob, at do me, you so. have a
1: thought on it maybe i can compound it i
0: i I don't know. I think it goes back to what you said, that when there's change, your greatest weakness can can become your strength. And so how do we think different? To me, it comes down to let's look at what's happening and say, how do I think different? There are too many people that still tell me I hope that goes back to the way it was pre-COVID. And in 2024, it's been five years. I can't believe people are still talking about that. And um, I I think it goes back to what you said. I thought you were going to tie those two together, that greatest weakness into greatest strength. That doesn't just happen because you hang on for dear life. That has to be intentional,
1: right? Yeah. I, I, and I, and okay, now I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. And yeah, I do. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I hope it goes back to pre-COVID levels too. And, you know, if you've ever had the the time or the need to study financial behavior, history is always bound to repeat for better mm-hmm. or for worse. Um. When I when I think about it, like it would be great if we went through another boom period, but right now, everybody should be expecting a leaning out period for the time being, which means you need to get ahead and you need to get proactive of the way you manage your fundamentals and your, your mission, vision, and values when you go into a sale because I don't think we're going to be in what we would all consider to be a healthy buying market for another couple years. I think you're right.
0: But that doesn't mean that we're not going to win.
1: Those people right. that
0: find that way to turn that into their strengths, they're going to win. And I think they're going to win big. I don't think they're going to hold on. I don't think they're going to survive. I think they're going to thrive. And that's why I was so excited to have this conversation with you. So we're almost out of time. How do people get more of you? How do they get more Billy? How do they you know, connect to you and learn from you and, and follow your podcast and all the other things you have? Because you're definitely someone that I want to try and get as many people to connect with as possible.
1: Yeah, so if you want to check out the Sales RX podcast, we're on Spotify and we're in uh, the Apple Podcast store. I recommend the Spotify version. Uh, we are in person, Chet Lovegren, the Sales Doctor, and I. We sit across the table and we're two guys talking about work. Um, we cover a, a whole range of topics from, you know, leadership, sales departments, chat GPT, and other other things that generally do influence how a sales manager goes to work every single day or a BDR, an AE, an SE. um, Highly recommend it. And look, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think I'm the only Billy Stein on there, but I could be wrong. Um, And if you don't mind me saying, Rob, just while we're here, if you do find me on LinkedIn, uh unfortunately i was part of a reduction in force at my last company and i am currently looking for my next gig um i hope this serves as a bit of a free sample into the way i manage a team and you know i'm looking for my next home to come and implement these fundamentals and create the next great team of sellers i hope the people take you up on that uh You've been awesome to work with on this show. I love the way
0: you think. I love the way you communicate and you're this really authentic, awesome human. In the last couple minutes, I always like to ask our guests, let's put a bow on it. You got got any final thoughts for 50,000 sales leaders all around the world as we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about I get you instead of I got you. We've talked about seven things to win in any environment. We've talked about. Um, how do we turn our greatest weakness into our greatest advantage? We've had a lot. It's it's gone fast. I hope it's gone fast for you because it's gone fast for me. How would you put a bow on that? Any final thoughts to a whole bunch of leaders around the world?
1: I do. Yeah. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about this when I was going through some of my notes beforehand. Um, You know, when I've been the most successful in my career has been when I've known the most about what I'm selling. And... When I think about sales leaders, if you're hiring salespeople, I feel like technology has created this uh, environment where we have a lot of experts who are not experts in what they sell. I think the very most important thing, if you ever want to implement something like this, and you know this did work for me. My team was a high-performing team. 75% of the sellers that did this are going to be sitting on a beach at President's Club Um, it is so, so important for us as sales leaders that we know our buyers, that we know the businesses we sell to, that we know what we sell and that we know what our process looks like, because you can't do any of this confidently if you're not aware. And as you think about now with new budgets coming in and you might be backfilling roles and you might be thinking about what is the next chapter of our business start with your buyer start Mm. with knowing exactly who they are what they do how they make decisions because if you educate your team on that and they're confident going into any sale the product piece will speak for itself i love it billy that was awesome that was fast uh
0: kudos on your success can't see can't wait to see where life takes you next Wherever it is, I am confident based on the interactions we've had, it's going to be a wild, massive success. His name is Billy Stein. Uh, He hosts his own show. Uh, You ought to go subscribe to that. Like you said, we're going to put a few links in the show notes so you can connect on LinkedIn. You can go to his show and check it out. Uh, What I love is that he's got a playbook for you how you can win in any kind of economic situation so you don't have to cross your fingers and hope that things turn in your direction you can make that you can be that leader that goes out and helps people make whatever weather they need to have so they can win so so billy on behalf of fifty thousand leaders all around the world thank you for joining us i wish you only the best and happy selling
1: brother thank you for having me
0: Hey, everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United has had so much growth, and I am so grateful to each of you who have chosen to check it out. Listen, the purpose of of Sales Leadership United is really simple. I want to give you access to the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Listen, I coach over 100 sales leaders, and they're in big companies, and they're in small companies. They're in new companies. They're in mature companies. They are in every industry. There are people that are new to leadership. There are people that are new to their company, but there are also people that are super seasoned and super tenured. Each of those leadership categories have different advantages, but also different challenges. And every one of the leaders that I work with tell me they want more tools, more insights, and more perspective. They ask me questions like, how do you create systems? How do you create foundations? How do you create change? How do you coach? How do you lead up or manage up or or connect to a totally different generation? But the number one question I get is, what are other leaders like me doing to solve problems like the ones I'm facing? And that's why you need to check out Sales Leadership United. Tools, training, techniques, proven frameworks perspective that comes from the benefit of thousands of hours with other leaders from all around the world. I share initiatives and and ways that people are approaching challenges that you may be facing right now. It's a simple way of getting the benefit of what thousands of others of leaders are doing for the cost of lunch. So if you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB to get a free trial. Now, when Chet, a.k.a. the sales doctor, reached out and suggested that I consider Billy as a guest, I was pumped to meet Billy. And after my first uh, conversation with him, I was pumped to record with him. Billy's fantastic. Uh, Everybody that's listening to this show would be better off to connect with him. And and I love his perspective. Um, Man, I love it when others suggest guests that I, quote, unquote, have to meet. And, And if you are one of those people who has a suggestion for me, Send it to me. Hit me the DM on LinkedIn or whatever, and I love it when I get those messages. Love it. Billy's insights around winning were important, and I thought worth recording. I hope every one of our 50,000 listeners are as focused on winning and growing and being architects of success, regardless of the external circumstances, as Billy shared, we can be. Because he's right. We're not in a blank check environment anymore, and and he is right. For many, it feels like a frozen environment now, just like Billy suggested. But our job as leaders is not to just hold things together until the freeze thaws. That's not what leaders do. That's what managers do. Our job is to win. Our job is to be a modern-day DJ Khaled where we say, all I do is win, no matter what. It's not all I do is win when conditions are right. It's all I do is win no matter what. And that will require a framework that helps you adapt. I think Billy's seven component framework is a really good place for us to start. It's a really good thing for you to evaluate and look into. So you ought to reach out to him and ask him to send it to you because he will. Listen, if you're going to shift how you win, regardless of the circumstances, and that's really important how he structured it, you're going to have to shift how you win. If the conditions shift, then you're going to have to shift how you win That means you're going to have to shift how you align. That means you're going to have to shift how you discover. Maybe my favorite insight from Billy came when we were having that part of the discussion and he suggested don't focus on tools, focus on initiatives. I want you to write that one down. Don't focus on tools, focus on initiatives. As external circumstances change, initiatives change. It's interesting that Billy talked about this right now, because right now, I'm doing some work with one of my larger customers, company you would know for sure. They have me doing some focus groups, and really not focus groups, it's one-on-one interviews with 20 or 30 of their largest customers to help them get a better understanding of the priorities and the current initiatives. Now, we're using these one-on-one interviews that I conduct with their biggest customers, people you for sure would know, Um like some of the biggest sports and, and apparel companies and some of the biggest rubber and tire companies and like wide variety of these massive companies that for sure you would know as I talk to these people, we're helping them get a better understanding of how these customers prioritize things and what their current initiatives are right now. And, and as I talk to these customers, we're doing it so we can turn it into training so we can equip the sales team with a way to connect with their current and prospective customers later. It's a really great way to turn training. It's like through the mouth of your customers. Here's what their initiatives are. Here's why these are their initiatives. This is why their priorities are what they are. And as I use this protocol that I that I have to learn from these big customers, they willingly shared their initiatives with me. They They were happy to share it with me. And it was interesting to me just how happy they were to share when they understood what the purpose of this conversation was. And maybe one of the very top findings surprised me. It was how ideas are most important in the current environment. I I wrote it down under this classification. Ideas are a currency in today's environment. Ideas are a currency. That's something you might think about as a leader. Because these name brand organizations are telling me they want vendors to not be a vendor. They want vendors to be partners who bring them perspective. Ideas new ways of thinking, and this is what they need. This is what they expect from a partner. They're less interested in vendors and they are more interested in partners. And I think Billy's framework will help you accomplish this. Don't ever forget that I get you will always, always, always be more powerful than I got you. Every competitor you have will be able to legitimately say I got you, because they'll have a solution that will work to some degree. But that's a transactional approach. However, I get you? That's totally different. I get you is potentially one of the greatest unfair advantages you can have. I get you gives you a price premium. I get you gives you consistency. So apply Billy's framework. Make sure you shift and adapt to the partner to be the partner that players in your market are looking for. Now, this is going to require you doing more than just making calls. It's going to require you to bring an informed hypothesis to the table. It's going to require you to have insights and perspective that create what I call eyebrows-up moments. So when you say it, their eyebrows go up and their head turns to the side and say, oh, that's interesting. These are the aha moments where you help them think about something that they haven't thought about before. And this is going to help you realize that the difference maker in leadership and in sales is never on the outside. The average leader will win when the conditions allow it, and will hold on for dear life when the conditions don't. That is not what you want to be. As As a listener to Sales Leadership Podcast or a user of Sales Leadership United, we want to be elite. That's the word. We want to be an elite leader where we win no matter the circumstances. And so the difference maker is on the inside. It is never on the outside for an elite leader. So I want you to be that difference maker that helps you Lead uh, and help those you lo- that you lead learn by aligning to the initiatives that matter. Find the initiatives that matter. Don't just be an expert with how your tool works. I've been that person before. And while there's t- opportunities to win that way, that is not the way that you grow and have sustained growth regardless of the circumstances. So Billy, thanks for joining me, brother. Thank you for sharing your insights. Congrats on the incredible success you've had leading teams of all kinds and in all market conditions. Thank you for being willing to share a framework that has helped so many salespeople, so many teams, and has benefited benefited ultimately so many customers. My advice to each of you, connect with Billy. Reach out to him. Ask him for his framework. He'll help you understand it, and he will help you implement it in your own organization, and you will be better off as a result. And then subscribe to the podcast he and Chet host. It's a show you'll be glad to listen to. Listen, I've got the links in the show notes for you to connect with Billy and check out the show. So make sure you do it. And then head to Sales Leadership United so you can get some video clips of this conversation uh, that I had with, with Billy and then with hundreds of other sales leaders. You're going to want to check out the video snippets on creating powerful, uh, powerful interactions with the members of your team so you can help them connect to initiatives, not just tools. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. Thanks for making the Sales Leadership Podcast one of the top 1% podcasts worldwide. It's something I'm proud of, and it's something I'm humbled with, and it's something I'm grateful to each of you for. The greatest compliment you can give us is to share the show with somebody you work with. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Make mention on your social channels. And then, if you want to, you can show support by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to, head to salesleadershipunited.com, check it out, and, and you'll be glad you did. Thank you for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for those you lead. If you like this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it and then get after it because life is short. You got no guarantee of what's coming tomorrow. So maximize your today. Be elite, live strong, and chase your passions and do your best work so you can live your best life. And do not ever forget, you got this and I got you. Here's to a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jeppg.com. That's rob at j-e-p-p-g And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner,